Welcome back to the official Sasta podcast with your host Harry Stebbings at H Stebbings on Snapchat. That's with two B's. And provided to you by the godfather of Sass himself, Jason Lemkin at Jason LK on Twitter. Now, do not forget, if you want to meet the godfather of Sass himself and I, then you can join us at Sasta Annual 2017 when I will be trying my damnedest to beat Jason in a mojito drinking competition. We would absolutely love to have you join us. And all you have to do is when purchasing tickets for Sasta 2017, enter the promo code Drinks with Harry, and not only will you get an incredible 20% off the ticket price, but also a free happy hour of mojitos thanks to the generous Mr. Jason Lemkin. But now for today's guest, and joining us in the hot seat, I'm thrilled to welcome Taro Fukuyama. Now, Taro is the founder and CEO at AnyPerk, and he was born and raised in Tokyo, and is a YC graduate with AnyPerk, and part of the first Japanese team ever to be admitted to Y Combinator. He was also named one of Business Insider's Silicon Valley 100 coolest people in tech right now. And fun fact of the day, AnyPerk was co-founded in a taco Bell Car Park. What a story that is. And they also have investment from the likes of DCM, Y Combinator, Gary Vaynerchuk, previous Sasta guest Nick Mesa, and many more incredible investors. And I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro to Tarot today, without which the episode would not have been possible. But it's now time for me to shut up and to hand over to Taro Fukuyama, founder and CEO at AnyPerk. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Taro, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Taro. Of course, I'm really excited to talk today. Now, I'd love to start today with, with a two to three minute founding story of AnyPerk and, and how the business really got off the ground in the early days. Sure. Uh, so in 2011 summer, I came from Japan. Uh, I literally thought if you come to San Francisco, you can just meet investors and like raise money from. Uh, obviously, I was too optimistic uh, and joined White Combinator six months later and then realized that all the companies are talking about how important employees or people are, uh, but all the companies are having the same challenge that, especially in San Francisco, New York, people are looking for a new opportunity every two years. So I thought people are the most important things, but people are the biggest also challenge for the companies. Then if we can fix this problem, then that's going to be a great company. So that's kind of how we started working on the employee happiness idea. That's what we do at Pennybrook right now. And how did you find the actual move then to San Francisco? You said it was challenging in the way that you thought you meet investors what were the other challenging elements then kind of in the initial days right so when we came we had barely an idea which is not even any perk we had of course no users no product no revenue no customers but we just thought that you can just meet investors and raise money i couldn't barely speak english either so you know it's hard to even communicate it's hard to get into the circle of silicon valley you know you have to be kind of connected to the some person you have to get intro to meet the right person and when i came i had nothing so meeting the right person uh the, in the right way is one of the best biggest challenges that we faced how important was yc to you building out that network in the early days oh yc was everything for us um you know when we came to to the u.s like everyone was like who are these you know japanese kids like we don't know who they are but once we got into yc and when we say hey you know we just joined yc a lot of people like oh then let's have a grab a coffee you know let's meet can we hear what you're working on so i think white combinator gives you the great like social credibility especially if you're the first time ceo especially if you're not from bay area then whatever what yc can give you is really strong power to get into the inside of the the bay area i think and talking about the kind of the benefits of yc that 
one of them is kind of rapid scaling uh, that you did definitely do at YC. So talk to me about the rapid growth of any perk. I mean, over the last couple of years, according to the trusted Fast Company, you've added a uh, thousand clients. So talk to me about this scaling. And as a first time founder, how did you look to build out the management team at any perk? Sure. So I think uh, so the, to answer the second question first, I think I was kind of lucky that uh, when I started this company, I had like no idea how to start a company, how to run a company, what is MRR, what is churn, what is the difference between gross churn, net churn, those kind of stuff. But I think the only thing I had was really the big passion of this space. And then there are people uh, in this place that want to follow those passion and vision. So we had a great hires for VP of marketing, VP of product and engineering in really early days. They're still here with me. Uh, and then they tell us, like, they teach me a lot of stuff how to run business. So I think that I really spend time building and scaling the management team. And that helped me to scale the company as well. What did that process look like then in terms of spending time, the actual hiring process? And how did you source those candidates when, as you said, you didn't have a brand or a network in the early days? Yeah. So a lot of people advise you to, you know, kind of build more network, meet more people, you can talk to more people so that you can hire whenever you're ready. But I think the importance uh, is before that a little bit, that like, what kind of person you want to hire like for the VP of sales you can hire a person who is from enterprise side who is from more transactional side who is from SaaS side who is not from SaaS side who is from HR space not the HR space do you want the person who can scale the 100 people do you want to scale do you want to hire somebody who's going to you know sell to the customers directly by, by himself or herself so I think the important process was internally make sure what kind of person we're looking for what the success looks like for this person what are the competencies we're looking for from this person and once we aligned then we know exactly who we want to hire so that the entire process will be much more efficient and effective absolutely kind of getting that very defined character that you're looking for one of one of our prior guests uh, jim stoneham now at new relic uh, said for the core management team that you just spoke about there you have to have very heavily experienced individuals when building that out do you agree with this thesis or do you think that you can take the useful energetic ambitious approach approach of having very young self-starters? Uh, I would say yes and no. I, I think the goal is to accomplish the purpose of the role, and then experience is one of the ways to achieve that. And a lot of the time, experience does help a lot. If you know, if you've seen you know, how you scale the organization, or if you've seen how the company grew from you know X number of employees to Y number of employees, then that definitely helps. But I think that's just one way to achieve it. If you are really talented, if you're really passionate, if you're really open to feedback so you can learn so fast then without experience some people get there so i don't think it's requirement but i think helps definitely and you spoke there about kind of certain elephant elements in terms of vp of sales and kind of specialization of roles when did you in the scaling of the management team look to specialize the roles and when did you in particular i'm intrigued look to hire the vp of sales uh i think up to 10 employees all the people should be like generalists even though you have a role even though you have a title there's so many things company needs you to do and then if you don't have the mentality of founder mentality that if there's a problem regardless of your role you fix then the company can get to the next level and once you get to the level then you have to hire someone who is so specialized on some specific thing so it will organically happen i don't think there's a magic number or a magic answer for that but you gotta start with a lot of journalists who are so passionate who are excited for the vision and mission and then later on scale to the specializes the the most common approach i've seen talking about kind of excitement around the vision and mission there with the early 
the employees. I'm intrigued as a first-time founder. How did you ab- approach or were advised on early employee stock options? Yeah. So, well, first of all, you know, before we go into stock options, like so important for the CEO founders to have vision. Joining startup is like so risky. Like the company might not exist a year later. You know, there are not enough people. A lot of kind of broken stuff. But if you're so passionate about the vision, then those risks could be justified. Uh, and then to to justify the commitment on financially, stock option is a great way to achieve that. You know, you founder will tell you that you know we wanna, I want you to be committed for the future, and I'm committed for the future as well. And it's good to say verbally, but it's good to have something on paper. And a stock option is just one way to achieve it. And then obviously, any pro gives to every employee uh, for some stock option as well. How do you look to structure that, though, as a first-time founder? Is there a kind of formulaic 10% for the first 10 employees, 5% for the next 20, and 5% for the next... 50. Uh, so I think there are a lot of benchmarks so you can follow. And I don't think we have the golden formula internally at any perk as well. I think the key is that for the companies to tell you, we, you're committed for the future and I want you to be committed and be part of the ownership as well. And then I want to, I, I want to treat you in a fair base as well because there are a lot of other startups who just started and have a great vision as well. So you got to make sure that you follow uh, the benchmark or at least more than the market rate. Otherwise, you know, they're going to find out and they're going to feel screwed. So they're not going to stick with the companies. And obviously, kind of uh, incentivization by uh, stock options is one method of incentivization. But now we've assembled the management team, as as we said, heard you say there. How do you then ensure that you have an aligned and a healthy management team? I'm intrigued. Yeah. So that's where I spend a lot of time right now to manage uh, the health of the management team. Uh, we learned from a consultant called Patrick Lanzioni. They have a firm called the Table Group. Uh, what they say is that uh, you can either focus on being smart or being healthy for the organization. A lot of companies try to be smart side. They want to focus on right technology, you know, good finance, good go-to-market, those kind of stuff. But a lot of companies still fail because they don't focus enough time on building the healthy company, meaning that there's no confusion, there's no politics, uh, so that the morale go up and then turnover doesn't go up either. Uh, so that's the kind of perfect like formula, being smart and also being healthy. And that's why I spend a lot of time to make sure that uh, that company stays healthy as well. I'm really intrigued. You said there about kind of a defined uh, plan ahead and no politics. How do you look to implement both those things into into life at any perk for the management team? So I think the biggest way to make sure that your company stays healthy is that the management team or leadership team make sure that there is enough clarity. So what we say clarity is that uh, if you answer six questions very clearly with the same answers, if everyone in the company can answer those six questions, the same answers, then company is pretty aligned. The six questions are uh, why, why, why does the company exist? And what does company do? Uh, who do we hire? How do we win the market? Uh, what's the most important things right now? And then who does what? If those six questions are clear, then there should be no political, there should be no confusion, so your company can stand healthy. And in terms of kind of the health of the company over time, how have you seen the management team happiness changed with the scaling. You've now got obviously a, a, huge, a vast number of employees. How many employees are at any part now? Right now, 60. 60. So from the early management team, how have you seen the, the happiness change with the scaling? And have there been any learning moments where potentially it's gone a little bit off path and you've had to rectify it? Yeah, I think the interesting 
is that uh, as always startups do, like we face a lot of challenges. If there are challenges, you can either get depressed or you get excited to solve. And what we saw is that if management team is so healthy and so aligned with where we want to go, how to say so clear how to communicate each other, those challenges look exciting to solve, you know, that will help us to motivate us to kind of solve those challenges. So we've seen that when that management team is happy, then uh, they're excited to solve the problem. So of course, likelihood of getting solved gets much easier. So I would say investing in happiness for management team is so important. But at what points in your scaling journey have you found it difficult to ensure that this happiness resumes? Have there been any times where it's been challenging to keep it up? Right. So I think the biggest thing is number of employees definitely one factor uh, because when we start, those management team are my direct reports and there are not that many people uh, under those people. But now after the 60 employees, then, you know, I manage them and they manage some people. Sometimes those people manage their people underneath as well. So I would say at 30 employees, then those VPs or execs has to become a manager of managers. And then that's when the company, some execs can stay up the scale. Some people prefer to join the startups as a doer. So I thought that was the biggest moment. Like a 30 employee was kind of magic number for us. That, that leads me to a, a really great question that I always struggle with. And it's, do you believe that certain people are only meant for certain phases of the business? For example, some people are only meant for the five to 30 person range. Or, or do you think that everyone has the ability to transition from first employee to employee 2000? Uh, I think it's possible, but definitely not easy. You know, you have to have both mindset and skill set to, you know, scale uh, as the organization scales. You know, when you join as a 10 or 20 employees, you have to do everything by yourself. Some people just don't enjoy it or some people are not skill set for that. And then when they scale at 50 or 60 employees, it's, it's hard for you to be stay a doer. You have to find a way to scale the organization. You have to become a great manager of managers as well. And that's just completely different skill set and mindset. And then what the day-to-day looks like, it's so different. So some people just don't enjoy those. I do have to ask also one thing when we said there about kind of employees that are only meant for one phase. How do you approach the churn element? I mean, it's a very nice way of saying the firing phase. How do you approach the firing phase? Yeah, I think the you know, churn of the management team, uh, it's pretty similar as churn of the, the regular employees as well. Like on the first 30 or 90 days, like everyone kind of knows that this person just might not work out. Uh, and then you've got feelings usually, right? Uh, and then, but, but you spend a lot of time to hire the person. You spend a lot of time to onboard the person. So it's, it's a tough call. But uh, as a regular, you know, employment management goes, you know, the faster you fire, then it's just faster for your company. And then first they churn, sometimes it's healthier for the company. I don't think it's special for management team. It's just same as the regular employees as well. And in terms of kind of building that harmony and line and alignment within the team there, one one method that a lot of companies um, utilize is offsites. So talk to me about offsites. Are they just another meeting for, do you think? And and who do you invite? Yep. So we do exec offsite. Uh, once in quarter and then we invite a facilitator from a firm called Table Group which Patrick Concioni started uh, and then what we do is usually focus on a team building of the exec team so we talk about how we're going to be vulnerable to each other what's the story from the you know childhood what's the weakness you have so we can be more uh, the cohesive team together and also secondly we talk about strategic things what's the most important things right now it's one of the biggest questions that every company should answer and that could change every six 
six months every year. So right now, what's the most important thing for us right now is any perk. And then what was something six months ago or something 12 months ago. Uh, so those alignment as a team building and alignment for those strategic decisions are the two biggest things we spend during the offsite. Is there any preparation that needs to be done on behalf of those that are attending the offsite beforehand in terms of reading material or catching up on any potential documentation? Yeah. So we uh, answer a question, some questions about the health of the management team. So there are five steps to become a cohesive team in our method. One is that you have to be vulnerable to each other so you can build a strong trust each other. Next is conflict. Because you have a strong vulnerability, you can have a healthy conflict to disagree with each other you know, without going to personal attacking. Next one, because you have a great conflict, now you can be really committed to the direction and decision we make as a team. And because you're committed, you can hold each other accountable so that you can show the result. So those are the five steps we follow to make sure that we have the cohesive team. And then before the offside, we ask each other that like, are we doing okay for the vulnerability? Are we doing okay for the accountable each other? Uh, so that's going to help us uh, the conversation. Where do we need to focus for the next three months to become a better team as an exec team? And then when you have those really useful and strategic conversations at offsites, how do you ensure that they're not just conversations? What's the aftermath and follow-up on the conversation? Yep. So first of all, you got to just clarify what's the what's the goal of discussion and what's the ans- question that we want to answer. And once you know the answer, then what's the next step? What the success looks like for this thing? And we never just let it go by just discussing because we just don't want to waste time to just for the sake of discussing. So that's what we do once in three months so we can check in of the decision what we made in three months ago, how we are doing. If you're not doing well, then what can we do to make it back so that we can make sure that we can actually do the strategy that we decided. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire round that we call the 60-second Saster. So 60 seconds per answer. How does that sound? Oh, that's been my dream. <laughs> so let's start with your productivity tools. I imagine you're insanely productive how do you stay on top of all your different tasks yeah so there are like a lot of task management and things that i'm trying to do but the biggest thing i focus is actually the quality of sleep i just realized that when my sleep quality is high then my productivity goes up so whatever tool you use actually you can be proactive so the quality of sleep is what i care a lot on day-to-day basis quality not quantity uh both are important but usually quality is more important to me like uh, if you drink alcohol a little bit before you go to bed then you kind of become a little bit awake during the sleep then the next day my my day's ruined don't worry tara i'm sure you never drink before you sleep <laughs> um, and do you measure do you measure it with anything do you have an app that measures it yeah we i use fitbit and then i use an app called hello so that's gonna sense the humidity or temperature light and make sure what's the correlation behind the quality of the sleep as well yeah love hello um and then what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started any perk uh the importance of meeting customers uh, when I started this company, uh, especially because I couldn't speak English, I was not comfortable meeting customers because I was not sure what to say to those customers. But now I learned how to speak English. So I might, I have a quota that for the top 50 customers we have, I got to meet every year at least in person. And then I learned so many things. I can build a really strong relationship. I can learn what should be the next product we build. And that's been the greatest uh, experience for me. Did you sell the product in the early days? A little bit, but similarly, I I. I I think I should have more, but I knew that I was not the best person to do that. And even though that's against the best, you know, process that founders should sell up to a millionaire are, I just couldn't do it. So I, one of the first hire we made was just to hire the salesperson, and then I trust the person to sell. 
Well, I think a language barrier is a very good excuse. Um, so <laughs> I, I think you're excused on that one. But then let's, let's talk about the biggest mistake current SaaS companies make with employee happiness. Yeah, I think the happiness is one of the most important metric the company should measure as, as important as other business metrics like booking or charge. But just because it's so hard to measure, people just don't talk to talk about it. And if they don't talk about it, but they don't make actions, that's why the engagement goes so low. So I, my advice, the biggest mistake we did in the beginning was we didn't measure the happiness and we didn't talk about it so that we could make actions about it. And then let's finish the quick fire on your favorite SaaS resource. What's your always go-to? Oh, I know it's a kind of a little bit cheesy answer, but like Saster like changed my life. <laughs> so actually, tech, so, tech, so Jason Lemkin is obviously like super popular and famous right now. But when I met him, he had only like 200 followers. Like no one knew about him. But somehow I found him on Quora and I messaged him on the Quora like, hey, I want to meet you so that I can learn from you. And that was 2013, January 9th. And then when he started writing a blog, is the end of the 2012. So that was still early. He was not famous at all, but I learned so many things from Jason, and then I still is one of the best resourceful. I have to say, Jason is one of the best learning resources for me, too. He's unbelievable to learn from. Oh, yeah, he changed my life. <laughs> That's such a good quote. Uh, he's going to love that. Um, but, <laughs> but then moving out of the quickfire, um, I always think with a company like AnyPerk, you know, you're an employee happiness solution. So how have you managed employee happiness as AnyPerk sorry, has grown so rapidly? And you mentioned there also the importance of actual measurement of the happiness. It's not like MRR or churn. So how do you measure if Bill or Toby or Sam and the rest of the team are actually happy? Yeah, so I don't think there is a perfect way to measure like happiness of people. Like being happy is one of the ultimate goal for like human being, but no one has so like perfect answer for that. But I think we found what's the closest way is what we call it ENPS. It's short for Employee Net Promoter Score. Like a lot of companies measure NPS for the customer side, but they don't really do for the people side. So what we do is that every month it's completely anonymized and we send a quick survey to entire employee base saying scale one to 10, how likely would you recommend this workplace to your friend or colleague and then we do that every month and we share the result and then we share the action item based on that and then since we started it was not that high when we started but now got really significantly higher and we see a strong correlation between turnover and those ENPS as well well Tara I can't emphasize enough how fantastic it's been to have you on the show as I said uh, and, and no one knows this so who's listening but any perk were the first company I ever did any due diligence on uh, and I was naturally blown away so today was a very special interview and I'm really grateful to you for giving up the time to be on the show and for revealing the fantastic Annie Perk story. Great, it's been a pleasure talking to you. What a fantastic guest Tara was to have on the show and so amazing to hear the AnyPert journey. And if you enjoyed the show today and want to stay in the world of Sasta, then you can follow me on at hdebbings on Snapchat, that's with two Bs, or Jason Lemkin on Twitter on at JasonLK. Likewise, do not forget if you want to hang out with us and drink mojitos at Sasta Annual 2017, then all you have to do is enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY, those three words, DRINKSWITHHARRY, when you purchase your Sasta Annual 2017 tickets. And not only will Jason be paying for a happy hour of mojitos, but also you will get a whopping 20% off the ticket price. As always, we so appreciate all your support and look very forward to bringing you Monday's episode.